Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside. But what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Ah, uh, yes. Welcome to episode number 25 of the MMA Outsiders. That's Sam Bando. I'm Tom Bando, as always. And Sam, we are coming off of one big MMA weekend, and we are heading over to another pretty big MMA weekend as we come off of Bellator in Los Angeles with Bador's retirement fights, and we head towards UFC in Australia, UFC's first event in Australia in years. And, well, we've also got a lot of headlines coming outside of the cage from Conor McGregor to Sean O'Malley, even Kevin Lee getting involved and a couple of pretty interesting boxing tales. So we've got a lot that we have to discuss in. Before we get into any of that, I want you to make sure to hit that like button, make sure to subscribe, hit the notification bell. That way you get notified of everything and anything here on the Empty the Bench Network. From us at the MMA Outsiders to Game On, Empty the Bench, Fruity Cereal, and so much more. This is the first time that uh, Zan and I are going to be on a permanent Wednesday slot now, as uh, Nick and I have been talking about in the little shakeup over the past week at the network. So uh, make sure to keep notified of everything going on with the MMA Outsiders. Usually we'll be airing on Wednesday mornings now. Empty the bench moving from Wednesdays to Thursdays. Again, that's Zan. My co-host here, you can find him and his work at BJPen.com. Find him on Twitter at Zambando99. On Tom Albano, you can find my work over at Fansided MMA. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas J. Albano and TomTalkSports9. Apologies in advance, by the way, for how my microphone sounds. Uh, I was playing around with settings when I was on a call with friends one day, and it's just kind of how it is right now with uh, this little feedbackish kind of tone. Uh, and unfortunately, Zen and I are kind of pressed for time this week. So right now, put up with it, and hopefully by the time next week, we this is all a little figured out more. Uh, Zen, before we get into our cards, well, as it turns out, well, we've been talking about it over the last couple of weeks. Connor putting out his little post on Instagram, the severe MMA report. Well, it turns out all of that is true. So after all of that teasing, Zan, from Dana White about special announcements, and then the first time just not delivering. Well, the second time, here it is. It is official. What everyone has expected is now official. Connor McGregor will be one of the coaches on The Ultimate Fighter Season 31. He will be coaching alongside one of the names we discussed last week, Michael Chandler. And the season will begin on May 30th. It will air on both ESPN Plus and on the network ESPN. The season will run through August 15th, after which I assume one of the UFC Fight Night cards in August will be the tough finale. And that is where the uh, six-figure contract will be awarded. Uh... As far as this season goes, as it turns out, yes, Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler will have a coach's fight at the end of the season, as is the tradition. It will be Conor's first fight in the octagon 
in over two years by that point, ever since breaking his leg during the uh, trilogy bout with Dustin Poirier. But however, it will be contested at welterweight. So Zan, now that Conor McGregor is back, now that we've got an official UFC announcement, now I'm allowing ourselves to talk about it. So what are your thoughts on Conor using tough as a mechanism for a comeback? And how do you feel about him uh, with Michael Chandler? Yeah, I mean, I think it certainly creates a lot of intrigue. It creates a lot of buzz. I mean, the ultimate fighter has been pretty lackluster ever since returning to ESPN+. Plus. I mean, let's be honest, the talent has not been 100% all there. The storylines just weren't the best with uh, Ortega and Volk and Nunes and Pena, if I'm, if I'm being honest here. But I just feel like there's a lot of bad blood between these coaches and Regardless of the divisions or who or who the or what the divisions end up being, you know, you and I both know that both of these coaches are going to do everything they can to try to win this competition and to build this fight as uh, as as highly anticipated as possible. And I think, in terms of a business model and business perspective. It's a win for the UFC. It's a win for ESPN. It's a win for ESPN Plus. It's all. Ultimately, a win for 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 Disney. I mean, it's another piece of content that they can distribute, and without a doubt, and I, I don't have any factual proof for this, but I could easily see this being the most watched Ultimate Fighter season in years, if not the biggest Ultimate Fighter season ever, just because of who's on the top of the bill. As for the fight itself, I do think Conor McGregor is being gifted a little bit. Um, a little bit of almost a mini number one contendership fight. And I'll explain what I mean by that. People seem to forget, unless you're a hardcore fan, that Conor McGregor has won one fight in a matter of about six years. My whole thought process is, if you're coming off of several consecutive losses, which he has, including two losses to Dustin Poirier, I think you need to earn it. And I, I just simply don't think that Conor McGregor deserves a fight with Michael Chandler. But hey, it's going to do big business. There's a lot of bad blood. It's apparent that Chandler doesn't like him. There's not really a read on how Connor was about Chandler, but he probably doesn't like him either. And it should create for a pretty incredible buildup. And uh, I selfishly hope uh, it's around my birthday because the last time I went to a Connor McGregor fight, it was uh, it was insane. And that could still end up being the only time I ever see him live. But it's cool to see him back, and it's I think good for all parties involved, just ranking-wise, even though the UFC rankings don't really mean much, doesn't make sense. So, Yeah, uh, it doesn't really make sense. And, Zan, I'm going to add to that little caveat about one meaningful about one fight in the last six years. He hasn't won a meaningful fight since November 2016. He hasn't won a meaningful fight since he won the lightweight championship and became a champ champ. His only win ever since then has been against Cowboy Cerrone, and no disrespect to Cowboy, but Cowboy from 2020 or 2019 on was not the same Cowboy. He had that very brief, you know, little run as, you know, Father Cowboy, where he had just become a new dad, and he was racking up win after win, and then he lost to Gaethje in September of 2019. It was just nothing there. Uh, as far as what you're talking about with a contender's fight, I mean... Yeah, unfortunately, it is a contender's fight. 
there's always, always going to be. I mean, Zen, last year, it was just last year where we were thinking uh, what was going to happen with the lightweight championship. And after Dustin had lost to Charles Oliveira, after Charles Oliveira missed weight, we, both those times, what did we say? It's like, oh, here's an opportunity now for the UFC to insert Conor McGregor, even though he's coming off a number of losses, you know, and he doesn't deserve a championship fight. And even though, Zan, this fight, you're talking about rankings. Here's the caveat. These two fights, are these two are going to be at welterweight. They're going to be at 170 pounds. And yet we're talking about a potential title shot at 155 pounds just because that's the nat- that's the weight that both of these guys compete at. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about that Conor McGregor is the only guy we'll ever discuss as having a chance of title shot in one division but fighting in a completely separate division in case you guys forgot uh, Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor 2 from but I, for, if I'm not mistaken, did, did take place at 170 pounds, as did Conor McGregor versus Donald Cerrone's. Well, this is this is nothing new. Um, but I will I will say this though. I think um, I think it's pretty hilarious. If I might add that, you know, oh, it's almost like this round robin effect, right? So Michael Chandler fights Charles Oliveira. He fights Justin Gaethje. It's almost like four or five fighters at 155 are just basically fighting one another. And I feel like this is part of that unofficial round robin effect. And it'll be very interesting to see, you know, what the winner does from here. And I, I think the loser of this fight, their stock plummets way down than, than what it currently is now. And that's what I think makes it more interesting is I think the, I, I think whoever loses this fight, there's more, there's more of a fallback on them and whoever wins this fight because of how crazy the lightweight division is now. We have no idea what the landscape could be five or six months from now, depending on what happens at UFC 284, which we'll get to in a little bit. But now inserting McGregor back into things makes makes the whole glamour division of 155 slash 170, if you will, given this fight, a lot more interesting. Okay, so then so I'm going to try to emphasize the point that you were making. Are you saying that this is a must-win for Conor McGregor? And if you are saying that, then what is the fallback? What can you see happening? Yeah, I do think this is a must-win for McGregor, but it's almost like he keeps getting chance after chance. So even if he loses in, let's say, controversial fashion again, the UFC is more than likely to make up an excuse and say, Oh, he, he wasn't a hundred percent, or oh, the, or oh, the referee intervened and caused the fight to get stopped one way or another. I just feel like he's the only fighter in the sport that can basically get away with whatever he wants, with whether it's in the cage or out of the cage, and still get life seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven, and what have you. And you can't say that about any other fighter. Which means that if Chandler doesn't finish him, I think he's in for a bad night because. I think that's the only way he, he can win this fight is if he wins by finish, in my in my opinion. Uh, let's talk about Chandler, by the way. So we were talking about potential opposing coaches and potential opponents for Conor McGregor. Do you think the UFC got it right overall? Because I look at the three guys we mentioned last week, in Chandler, Ferguson, and Gaethje. I said, if Ferguson, if it was Conor versus Ferguson, that's a fight that 
I think is way gone. I don't think I have any interest. The only reason I think it would have made Connor versus Tony was to get Connor an easy win. Uh, as far as Gagey, I think that would have been a bad fight for Connor. I think, do you think Michael Chandler is also a bit of a bad fight for Connor? Do you think the UFC has nailed it? Because I've seen a lot of conversation that the UFC has kind of nailed this. No, it's a very good question. I do think they did nail this Michael Chandler um, uh, opposite coaching um, uh, opposite coaching spree, if you will. I mean, if you give him Gagey, you're talking about a guy who, you know, just more, just more than recently come uh, came off a win. Now you're talking about two guys who have come off of, you know, subsequent losses the last couple of years in big spots. I think it makes a lot of sense considering that this is a must win for both. And of course, there's a little bit of a mini rivalry backstory because of how many common opponents they faced and how much uh, stylistically the fight makes a ton of sense. So I think, it, I think it works. I think people are excited. I think adding an Ultimate Fighter season to it is only going to enhance the hype even more and get back people get people back into a show that you know was popular six, seven, eight years ago and did build some of the biggest rivalries in the history of the sport. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough, Sam. So let's do an early prediction then. Who do you think? will come up in a fight against Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler because I'll throw my couple of cents in. I I know he's been getting mocked at by Conor in the army for it, but I agree with Chandler. Second round finish. Interesting. I think uh, I think this is a must win for Conor. He knows it's on the line, and I'm not going to say there's no way he loses, but I would I would be very surprised if he lost this fight given the position. He's in his career right now. So I'm taking Connor to win this fight early and it only lasting about six minutes. So. So we agree on a second round finish. It's a matter of who's going to get the finish. Correct. Yep. Okay. So this fight is not going to go distance either way. These two just have way too much power with them. Uh, Absolutely not. You're, you're, You're right. Absolutely not. It will not go the distance. Let me throw one more thing at you, Dan. Okay. Uh, we have uh, competing in a few months one Jorge Masvidal. And we have talked for years and years, and now it's just kind of passed us by this Conor McGregor or Masvidal kind of uh, fight. But if Masvidal loses to Gilbert Burns in Miami in April, and Conor loses to Chandler whenever it's September or October, whenever they fight, considering the uh, considering the fact that Connor hasn't even entered the USADA pool yet, and I think the tough season, it might also be a little bit of a way to help with that a little bit. Uh, if Connor loses to Chandler and Masvidal loses to Gilbert Burns in April, do you see the UFC as much as the fight has kind of passed by to try and cling on to Connor's value, they they do Connor versus Masvidal still? Yeah, that's a good question. It would be the most typical UFC thing ever if they, they did that. <laughs> I personally, Tom, I don't think so. The fight doesn't make sense anymore. They're not at the height of their powers the way they used to be. My response to that is is it still 2019? The answer is no. Um, and I just don't think the fight makes sense. Now, if they win both of their respective fights, yeah, let's. Talk about it. Let's try to see if we could do a BMF title with 
those two coming off wins. I think it makes more sense if they come off wins than if they come off losses. I agree. And I don't think it's going to, I don't really have any much of an interest in it right now. But as you said, typical UFC. You had the BFF title, though. But what if Gilbert Burns beat Jorge Masvidal? Wouldn't you give Gilbert Burns the BMF title? I mean, yeah, he's been clamoring for it on social media, hasn't he? I think it I think it makes a lot of sense if that belt's on the line for that fight and if Burns wins, he should get it. Makes sense. All right. Let's get off the counter talk. Let's talk about another golden boy of the UFCs. And let's talk about Sean O'Malley. So... In the announcement uh, of Connor and Chandler competing on tough and competing against one another, they mentioned John Jones. They mentioned him as heavyweight title night and the eight fight deal, which we talked about when we did that whole bonanza <laughs> involving the heavyweight title situation. But yep. in this little announcement here, he also slipped in the fact that John Jones is not the only one who has signed an eight fight deal. That also is Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley has signed a new eight fight deal with the UFC. Sean O'Malley is the current number one contender for the Bantamweight Championship. And Zen, I mean, it's pretty clear ever since the initial season of uh, Dana White Contender Series, he has been the next golden boy of sorts. He is going to be the next, you know, guy that they push to the moon and are pushing to the moon. He's currently on a five fight win, uh, five fight uh, on Bean Streak, going 4-0 with one no contest against Pedro Munoz back in July. He's coming off a win over Peter Jan. Highly controversial circumstances. Highly controversial split decision back in October. Zan, what do you think is the next fight for Sean O'Malley? Because it seems like, especially with this new 8 by deal, kind of reemphasizing the point that he and Dana made in August of title shot or bust especially considering the fact that uh, Peter and Marab are probably going to fight, and Marab isn't going to fight Aljamain anytime soon. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, you know, I think um, I'm going to have to slightly disagree with you here. I think that Sean O'Malley should fight the winner of Sandhagen versus Cheeto Vera, and I, th- and I think that makes a whole I'm lot of sense. That. I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense given the fact that, you know, a lot of people, including myself, I didn't think that, that uh, Peter Jan lost that fight. I, 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 I don't like to use the word robbery very much, but that looked very Jan won that fight. Jan won that fight, Sam. Come on. He won. Jan won. No, he, no, he absolutely did. But I do think O'Malley coming back for eight fights is huge. I think it gives... The Bantamweight division, a lot more excitement. He's obviously the Bantamweight division's biggest star at the moment. I think I think you and me both, we all want to see O'Malley succeed and attempt to get a title fight, and it would draw huge business. And, of course, I was lucky enough to see him when he beat Chris Moutinho, so it would be really cool to see him fight once again when gold is up for grabs. And I think that the UFC has set themselves up in a position to where Bantamweight could be the glamour division for the next several years. If he fights for the title, wins the title, and and of course defends the couple more times, I think it's a it's a golden move for the UFC. It's a signing that needs to happen. And the UFC, there ever since the whole Francis debacle, it seems like every fighter that the UFC has wanted to keep 
at least for the moment they are keeping. And this is this is another one of those superstars. So I was gonna. So I was gonna. Ask, so do you think the Francis Francis leaving parting ways with the UFC has helped? Uh, has kind of motivated them to lock up some of these guys. I think it's. I think it's glaringly obvious when you read between the lines. The answer is yes. Yeah. Do you think, uh, Zanza? I guess going off of what we're talking about with the Peter Yan fights, I know they're talking about championship or bust, but I think you and I agree. If they were to book Sterling versus O'Malley, Sterling would have his way with O'Malley. Oh, for sure. And I think a lot of people would be upset considering that there seems to be a subset of MMA social media, no names mentioned, that that clearly are not fans of the current Bantamweight champion. And you would love to see him lose. But yeah, I would agree from a stylistic perspective. I think O'Malley has little to no chance at all. The only way that O'Malley wins that fight is if he somehow forcibly stands up with Sterling. And even I don't think that would go well. Probably So I I think it's a lose-lose situation when you you look at it. So I I think if you're O'Malley, you need to sit out and you need to wait for the winner of 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 Cheeto Vera versus Sandhagen or see if there's mass chaos with the Sterling Cejudo mega fight potentially not happening. So, okay, that was going to be my next question, is how you see Henry Cejudo playing to this, because it was just last week or two weeks ago where we said, you know, we'd believe it when we see it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think I still am the same way that I was a few weeks ago. We still don't know what's going on. But that whole thing. So again, like you all believe Sukudo fighting when I see the official announcement or and I see his uh his manager slash PR guy, if you will, make the announcement for him. So uh but yeah, that pretty much will wrap it up on that one. Sean O'Malley, like you said, I think he he's their golden boy and he's obviously going to get locked up into this one of these kind of deals. <laughs> But I don't think he's ready for a shot. I actually can kind of see what you were talking about, Zen. Uh, having him fight the winner of Sandhagen versus Chito Vera. Does also, that not make? I mean, I mean that makes perfect logical sense, doesn't it? Especially it- Zen. Especially if Chito wins, have the opportunity to have him get his win, get a win back. It's a, it's a, it's a gigantic, it's a, it's a gigantic rematch that can be built up to. To the, to the heavens and headline the biggest UFC fight night card in a very long time. It, it would do it would do huge numbers on 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 free TV if that if that happens to be the fight. It would do it would do it would do massive numbers. Absolutely, and considering the timing of everything, then summer would be perfect. And summer they put on ESPN on uh, UFC on ESPN like crazy the fight nights to build content. That would be big. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be a big, it would be a huge spot if they did their traditional massive late July card this second to last week before their subsequent pay-per-view. Slide, slide that slide that right into that slot and it would do massive, massive numbers in my opinion. I can so see there's my there's my unofficial matchmaker prediction, if you if you will. So yeah. yeah. Uh Zed. Not only are they locking up talent, you know, their own talent that they're retaining, they're regaining talent too. Kevin Lee, after one fight in Eagle FC, is re-signing with the UFC. So Kevin Lee, between 2018 and 2021, lost four or five. He 
had a couple of weight misses. He went back up to welterweight, tested positive for Adderall, and ended up basically forcing him out of competition for a while. He and the UFC parted ways in 2021, and he competed in Eagle FC 46 in March of last year, defeating Diego Sanchez in a super lightweight fight. And now he's back. So, are you excited? What what prospects do you see with Kevin Lee re-signing with the UFC? I have to ask you this question with um with without trying not to laugh, but honestly, Tom, where in the world does Kevin Lee fit into all of this? <laughs> because now we can finally say it again, right? Where oh, in the world hang on, hang on, Ben. I forgot my uh my sound effects were down. <laughs> <laughs> Where does well? That's my question. Where does Kevin Lee fit into all of this? I personally think he needs. I think he needs. <laughs> this is what he needs: a prelim main event on ABC to get his feet wet again. That's what. That's what. That's what I think. Well, here's my question. So, do you see he's going to be competing at welterweight? Then I would assume. I don't think he's going to go back down to lightweight if he was competing at 165 pounds in Eagle FC and his last UFC fight was at 170. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be competing at 155 either. Um, let me. I'm I'm doing a little bit of uh, I'm doing a little bit of digging. So let's see realistically. I mean, honestly, I think that him versus uh, him versus Michelle Pereira would be very interesting. I want to see. I want to see that. <laughs> It kind of broke my brain when you said that. Like, oh, Kevin Lee versus Michelle Pereira. Uh, I want to see. I want to see that fight. <laughs> do, you think, do you think Lee has a chance in that fight? Probably not. But we'll see. We'll see. If he, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if he's rusty or not. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Dan. Like, that's the thing. And no disrespect to Kevin Lee, but this feels like. Signing somebody for the sake of just having the talent there, for the sake of you know, I throw this term around completely, Zan, but gatekeeping, you know, just oh, he got a win over Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee challenged for the interim lightweight championship back in 2017. Yeah, I and I know obviously that he has a fight booked, but you know, Lee versus KS would be interesting to see, right? I mean, that's two veteran talents that I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind seeing go rather. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of welterweight fights in the bottom, in the bottom Neil, uh, of the top. Neil Magny. Yeah, I mean, considering Neil Magny just came off a loss to Gilbert Burns, that fight makes a whole lot of sense too. Because whoever wins, you know, stays in that upper echelon, and whoever loses is likely out of the rankings. Well, we will be unranked anyway going into the fight, but. If we wins, he'll definitely have a ranking next to his name if he beats Neil Magny. I think it I think it makes a ton of sense. I also think another fight that would be very interesting is um him versus uh him versus Rachmanov would be would be an interesting fight too. I think there, I think there's a lot of notable fights that you could make at 170 in the bottom half of the top 15. So, for sure, for sure, I I think. I don't know what Kevin Lee's prospects are in terms of, you know, how much success he can get after just one fight away. And that being against San Diego Sanchez, which 
again, no disrespect, Diego Sanchez, but a win over Diego Sanchez in 2022 <coughs> means Jack. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my question would be: Is is the year 2009? Because yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, that fight was as underwhelming as ever. I mean, let's be let's be honest here. Um, <laughs> speaking of, I have no idea what's even going on with Eagle FC, but I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I digress. What I will say is, it's good to see the Motown Phenom back in the UFC, and we'll see what he, he can do with his newfound second chance. Um, in the biggest MMA promotion in the world, but those were the two big, I guess, uh, contract um. Transactions slash signings, if you will, outside of the cage this past week, O'Malley and Kevin Wheat. For sure, and those are our three big stories of the week. We do have fight news, however, Zan. We've got Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor two May twentieth, but not at MSG again. No, it's going to take place in Dublin. Are you disappointed, Serrano Taylor two is not going to be at the Garden again? No, I'm not. I mean, I think this is. A great fight, no matter where it is. I think all the pressure's on Katie Taylor now. Amanda Serrano going to her backyard. The first fight transcended women's boxing. There's no way that this fight isn't massive. I'm excited for it. I can't wait to watch it. I've waited for, for this fight since the second. The first fight ended, and I'm very glad that both parties came to a deal. And shout out Eddie Hearn for getting it done, because I do think as much as we harp on boxing, I think he's one of the few promoters that actually makes the fights that people want to see, and now he's making the fights. Oh, good Zan. on him. The fight should happen. Zan, we we harp on boxing. What are you talking about? No. No, we don't harp on boxing. Not at all. <laughs> okay, I get What's your... I get oh, your right. There we go. I get your, I get your, I get your sarcasm, but in all honesty, though, they made the fight. This is a fight that was supposed to happen, mm-hmm. and... I, my early prediction is Serrano, a close fight. I'd like her to win in round nine by TKO, but I would not be surprised if Katie Taylor won the fight, effectively ending the series. But I just feel like there's no possible way that we're not seeing a third fight in 2024 in Puerto Rico or because it just makes all the sense in the world. And I really, I really do think Serrano wins this fight to even the score and make the biggest trilogy fight, arguably, in the history of women's boxing. Yeah, Zan, I I am perfectly with you. I think that so Katie Taylor ended up uh, winning their first fight by split decision in April. I see Serrano getting her win back, and I see her winning in enemy territory. And I see Zan, as you perfectly said, I see a third fight happening in Puerto Rico, and I think that's just great for boxing. Granted, if Serrano ends up winning or Taylor ends up winning on some really controversial decision. Then we'll have to do a third one no matter what. Right. That's what that's what I that's what I think. And I would would rather stand, but I would rather it be a split decision on a very close fight like their MSG card was rather than controversy. Absolutely. Very well said. Again, I like Serrano to win in this fight. That's my very early prediction. But for those of you who are paying attention, make sure to write down May 20th on your calendar because that is a women's boxing match that you will not want to miss, not even a little bit. So I'm excited for it. I, I can't wait. Give me a give me a countdown that I can look at every single day because that's how that's how excited I am for that rematch. We've also got Zan, 
Game Bread Boxing. Yes, we talked about George Masvidal earlier in this card. Well, guess what? I mean, earlier in the show. Well, guess what? Now he's going to have his own boxing card. It's going to take place in Milwaukee on April 1st. And no, this is not a April Fool's joke. It's going to be in the main event, Milwaukee's own former UFC lightweight champion, Anthony Pettis, taking on Roy Jones Jr. Yes, the Roy Jones Jr., the former lightweight champion of the world. Hey, I mean, I got to say this. Given my close proximity and how close I am to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I'm very intrigued. And you may or may not see me at this card. This this entire initial lineup is just filled with absolutely huge names. And you know what? Game Bird Boxing is meant to be freak showish. This fight, you know, kind of fits that description. I mean, no no one asked for the fight. I think it's cool that Roy Jones Jr. wants to fight. Anthony Pettis, he doesn't have to fight anymore, but it's two big names. Anthony Pettis was a huge name in the WEC, a huge name in the UFC. He still wants to compete. He loves his hometown of Wisconsin, or um, or his, his hometown of Milwaukee, his home state of Wisconsin, rather. And I think it's a fight that's going to draw a lot of local fans to it. And I think it's a card that Horace should be proud of. And I think he's just putting together you know, legends fights, and honestly, who um who um who, who can aim him right? I think it's good for all parties. Do the fights not make you know logical sense stylistically? Probably not. But are they going to get butts in seats? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a fight. This is because it's local for me. I'm very I'm very intrigued. Um, uh, in is in this card, regardless of who's on it. I'm just excited. I'm just excited that it's close. <laughs> I mean. Zen, listen to this lineup. Anthony Pettis versus Roy Jones Jr. Jose Aldo versus Jeremy Stevens in this post-call-made event. Preceded by Vitor Belfort versus Arnaldo Giacare Souza. Uh, Pearl Gonzalez and Gina Mazzani is on the card. Paul Daly is on the card. This is, honestly, Zen, a really intriguing card. It's it, But the April 1st sticks out to me. It's like, is this card really going to hold up, or is it going to be early April Fools? He's injured. Yeah, and also April 1st is the night of PFL 1, and there's no UFC event that night. And, so the, uh, and, and it's also night one of WrestleMania. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be a lot on that night is basically what we're saying. And, it, and it's uh, right before um, the national championship for March Madness. So the, there's right. gonna be that weekend. Yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot going on. Yeah, those are prob- that's probably gonna be the day of the final four games. Then April first, a Saturday. I would argue that that's probably true because the championship game would be Monday night, April third. So yeah, jeez, oh, you know what's the screwed up part, Zan? I'm going to Yankee Stadium that day, so, and it's a four o'clock game, so I'm not gonna be able to see any of it until like I get home. Oh, that's a, that's a bummer. Are the Yankees playing anybody anybody interesting at least, or no? Who are they? The are they Giants. playing? The Giants. Uh, that'll be that'll be a good one. It's and it's going to be uh, the projection is it's going to be Carlos Rodon starting against his former team. Oh, that is that is even more awesome, you know, as well. It kind of makes me a little jealous because of the whole Cubs connection. But yeah, you'll have a good you'll have a good time. I yeah. will. So that weekend. You know, I'll be watching on delay, but that weekend will be absolutely fun for 
for combat sports fans. Absolutely. And if I um and if I uh and, and if I happen to make it to that event, assuming the event happens, I'll, I'll be I'll be I'll be ecstatic. <laughs> if that happens, uh, don't be surprised if you see you know instead of PFL or anything like that, you just you see Game Bread Boxing on our account for that night. We'll that's be Game Bread stands for that night. <laughs> that's more than that's more than likely the case. If I happen to uh, if I happen to make it to that event, it would be even cooler if Jorge Masvidal was sitting ringside. At event that would be that would be even cooler. So, yeah. Who right. knows? We'll we'll see if Game Bird Boxing actually works too for fishing. But of course, I digress, and I'm getting a little bit too atomized. But yeah, a potential early April Fool's joke with Game Bird FC number four. So, yeah. Unfortunately, if the if, unfortunately if it's April Fools, this is how we'll be feeling after all this hype. We just did. All right, let's talk about Bellator. It's time to do some recapping. Zen, I love Fedor. I salute him and all that he has done for the sport and everything he has done, you know, the career that he has had. One of the great heavyweights of all time, one of the greatest to have never stepped foot in the UFC. He should not have been in that fight. That was a one-sided bloodbath against Vader. No, he shouldn't. He shouldn't have been, especially with you know CBS. The first time that Bellator was going to be on network TV, it probably wasn't a good look for the people who had never seen an MMA fight before, and it just didn't go well. I mean, I will say the only positive is that Brian Vader. One in his home state, or that, or or no, it was to his home state. Rather, the fight was in uh, Los Angeles, not in not in Arizona. But at the, at the very least, a lot of local Bader fans came out to see the fight, and that was cool. But to see Fedor lose in that fashion was just a total bummer. My prediction was wrong, um, but I will say that you know this is a rivalry that you know kind of quote unquote was meant to end this way, and I think it goes to show that Ryan Bader is the best heavyweight that Bellator has ever had, and it's not even close. And uh, now the conversation becomes, you know, looking at it side by side, who really does have the best division in MMA, the best light heavyweight division that is. I still think it is the UFC, but Ryan Bader really did make his case as the number two in heavyweight in the world. And, you know, you could argue that in some people's minds he's number one, but I'm still looking at him as number two. So, Wait, you're talking about light heavyweight? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I know, I know he. I'm sorry. I know he was a double champion, but it's hard for me to um. I I'll, I'll rephrase. It's hard for me to see him as the number two heavyweight in the world, given how much talent the UFC still has. Oh yeah. Um, over no, on no. over on the over on the other side. Uh, yeah. Just, no, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't see it. Maybe he's number six or number seven, but he's definitely not number two. Yeah, he's definitely not. He's definitely not number two. I think he barely cracks the top five if he even cracks the top five at all. If you're talking about light heavyweight, then yeah, I I can see some, I can see some circumstances because light heavyweight is just not a strong division overall in the sport. Um, oh, for sure, for sure, one hundred percent. And I, I and I don't think anybody is disputing that. And I think fans and media members of MMA know all. T- 
through well that light heavyweight has not been the glamour division that once was six or seven years ago. So, as far as this fight goes, uh, unfortunately, Zan, I was the one who can say I was right. I, but in the one sided fashion, it kind of was. I mean, it was kind of sad to watch that <laughs> Emelianenko got hurt and then Bader just completely had his him and him looking all bloodied. It, it just it was sweet at the end to see all the legends pay respects to him. And yet at the same rate, it just came after an absolutely one-sided beatdown. It was nice to see that Vader was all smiles afterwards. But uh, it's a sad ending to one of the greatest careers. And yet maybe also a teachable moment to younger combat people. That even the greatest of all time, one of the greatest in all time, kind of goes out on his back. Yeah, I mean, you and I have seen it several times with countless legends over the years that they all have to, they, that most of them, if not all of them, fall in their last fight. And this is just another one of those examples. It's just unfortunate that the best heavyweight over a 10 year period had to have the second half of a career that he did and to get his heavyweight title shot and not perform, you know, after all the buildup of his, you know, farewell tour, not yeah. going to. Per- it was just a total bummer, but I will yes, say that, or I was just going to say, I will say though that, you know, from a business perspective, I think Bellator did well. I mean, it was on CBS. Everybody got a chance to see it. I don't think this is the last time we'll ever see Bellator on CBS. I really don't. I hope um, not. I really, I really don't. Uh, but I will say, um, away from the fight, I will say this. And I, I don't know if I said it publicly. I think I did. But the one criticism that I had of this event, I actually had two. There were there were two criticisms that I had. One of them was, I think you needed four fights on the main card instead of three. And I also think you needed the prelims to be accessible over TV instead of just on YouTube. The, those were my only two complaints, given how big the show was supposed to be. Uh, fair enough. Very fair enough. You could have run the prelims on, say, CBS Sports Network or Showtime. And yep. then they start on CBS. Um, yep. I think, Zan, going to what we talked about with the second half of Fedor's career, I mean, just his Bellator run in general, I know we said with a lot, we were rating it about six or so, but I think in the, with a one-sided loss that it did, Zan, I think it was enough to knock it down to a five or a four out of ten. The, his run in Bellator or all that I praised Vader for was really, really underwhelming. Yeah, I mean, you know, to only look at wins against Tim Johnson and Quentin Rampage Jackson to really judge him was kind of unfortunate. And Frank and Frank Mir and Chael Sonnen, one of true. Them, even a true heavyweight. True. Luckily enough, I was at the Frank Mir, so I was able to see a glimpse of uh, Fedor winning a fight. The, other Fedor fight I went to was near the end of the Strike Force era when he lost to Dan Henderson. But yeah, as you alluded to, you know, his Bellator run just wasn't what, you know, kind of what they were hoping for. And, um, you know, they got an aging star. And uh, sometimes those things are going to happen. And, you know, I think it's just about how we view his whole career, you know, holistically instead of the second half of it, because really his career was him dominating in an era where no heavyweight, not even Randy Couture, 
was 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 as dominant as he was, and that's the unfortunate thing. We never got to see Randy Couture versus Fedor Emelianenko. We never got to see Fedor versus Brock Lesnar. Those were the two fights that got away to determine who the baddest man on the planet was. And I think you and I both know who would have won those fights. I think Fedor, in all due respect to Brock and Randy, I think I think Fedor would have won those fights rather easily. And I think he would have showed that he was that he was the man of that era. But I do think when looking at his career, we should look at it holistically and not judge him based on really the second half of a Bellator run that just didn't go according to plan. That's really that's really what it what it was. So, fair enough. Oh, Zan. By the way, what did you say before? Oh, I mean, I just said. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, besides besides what Gus Johnson said, which is true. Um, I just said that I don't think we should judge him based on his past failures and in a promotion that, in my opinion, probably didn't give him. The greatest level of competition. Sand, that's so. the joke. You said some things that sometimes these things happen. You know, every time you say sometimes these things happen, that sound effect must come out. It is. It's going to be one of the laws of the show. Okay. Hey. Uh, okay. Fair. That's true. I did. I will admit that I did. That I did say it, and the sound effect did deserve to be played. But my point still stands. We should not judge Mister Millie. And go based on the last four to five years of his oh, career, man. and you should definitely look at his career more holistically than maybe we'll give him credit for. Also, one thing, Zan, I, I would give a little criticism for not harsh and uh, nitpicking and all that. I wish we could have had a fuller Lenhart um, introduction for Fade. Yes, I was. Yes, I was waiting. I was waiting for it to be extended, and it never happened. It, it should have been her doing the main event. No, all all due respect to Michael C. Williams. Agreed, agreed. And uh, we obviously don't know her schedule, but there, I'm sure there, I'm sure there were talks. I don't know that for sure, but yeah, it would have made logical sense to have her there that night, without a doubt. Let's also talk about Sandy. Other two main card fights. We had another championship fight: Johnny Eblen defeating Anatoly Tokov. Uh, Nothing much I can honestly say, Zan, except this was a one-sided whooping, as we say. <laughs> yeah, this was a this was a surefire uh, ass kicking, if you will. And uh, I'm going to say it. A couple of other people have said it. If you were to ask me who would win between Evelyn and Pereira, I would honestly pick Evelyn to beat the current UFC middleweight champion. I literally think he's that he's that talented. Uh. I don't know if I would go that far, but I will say that I think Zen, what we have seen from Eblin in his last fight when he won the championship and he beat Tokov, Zen, I think there's honestly a chance we could be in, dare I say, that this could be on uh, freezing, you know, freezing takes and old takes exposed. We could be living in the Eblin era right now at middleweight for Bellator. Yeah, it's very likely possible. And, uh, just from the start of the fight, you could just tell that Tokov had no chance to really do anything offensively, and the whole fight was dictated by Eblin doing whatever he wanted, hurting him several times, using his wrestling like he did everything he wanted to do, and it was just a, a master class by the champion, and he, he fought really well. I will say this, though, um, to- 
Volkov, you know, he hung in there for the full 25 minutes. At various points in that fight, I thought it could arguably have gotten stopped, but it did not. And I think it just showed that Eblin is in a pure class of his own at 185. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens going forward with the rest of the division, who he fights next, and just kind of how his Bellator legacy progresses. Because now you've got two big wins, one against Musasi and and of course, Tokov, I think Eblin's going to be a guy to watch in 2023, especially in a division that likely needs a little bit more uh, umph, if you will. I think Eblin being the champion is the perfect backdrop. Oh, by the way, um, I will say this um, about the about the third and final fight on the main card. I was dead right. You were dead right. We were both dead right. And Zan. This was a beautiful fight. I thought they nailed it on the opener. I thought Ward and Hamasi delivered. Yeah, that yeah, that was a crazy fight. I will, will say this: the referee is insane for not stepping in and stopping that fight three minutes earlier because Hamasi was taking a beating near the. And I mean, I don't know if you've seen that much blood in the finish, but that's one of the ugliest scenes in a fight that I've ever seen in my entire MMA viewing career. That. That was that was pretty that was pretty brutal. Zen, he was allowing Sabah to be a warrior. No, you moron! <laughs> <laughs> no, you moron! Uh no, but they they still delivered. Ref shenanigans aside, they delivered. I I did enjoy Warden Tomasi for all that it lasted. Uh, as far as the prelims goes, then, I mean, not really too, too many big Bellator uh, prelim names and big performances. I mean, there were a lot of names, but not really big performances. Uh, Lorenz Larkin, I think, has already delivered a nominee for Knockout of the Year, however, in the featured prelim. 100%. And, and he does look like the Lorenz Larkin of old, does he not? He looks phenomenal. He looks absolutely great and i think that might end up helping his status a lot when it comes to the welterweight division for sure um a name that you probably haven't heard of in a while is now kind of back in the mix and that viral knockout should certainly help him as the year goes on and the guy he fought was a tough guy hung in there for for a little bit but just got viciously caught and and uh i'll say it again sometimes these things happen in mma <laughs> okay, and I'll play it again. Sometimes these things happen in MMA. Uh, Chris Gonzalez put on a very nice performance, a very brutal finish of Max Rostock. Uh, Henry Corrales, unanimous decision win over Ahmed Magomedov. Uh, how'd you feel about Isaiah Vimari going to a split draw? Oh, I mean, I mean, that's that's something you never want to you ever want to see. And that fight was super lackluster. Oh, anyway, pardon the unanimous drop, unanimous draw, Pardon me. Anyway, anyway, that fight was super lackluster, and it was just one of those results that I saw. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> I, Zan, I think my Maori take last week can be on old takes exposed. But yeah, I said, I mean, Maori's. Yeah, you were hyping him up. <laughs> I mean, but Zan, Maury's lackluster performance combined with this, I hate to say I hate to say it, but Zan, you're right. I feel like that next heavyweight title fight, they might do a Moldovsky rematch with Vader. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the fight to me that makes logical sense. And I actually see Moldovsky losing that fight considering how well Bader just fought on Saturday. So, so if that, that fight happens, let it be known that I am taking Ryan Bader to win. So I'll, take, I'll follow that as well. Um, and Sam, what did you think of Caldwell losing? It seemed to have a lot of blowback on social media, and I can yeah. understand why. Yeah, I'm not going to name this person um, publicly, but someone lost a lot of money because of this fight. Uh, um, <laughs> but I, I will, I will say, I will say this: um, it's one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in all my years of watching Bellator. I don't know how elbows from the ground. Uh, like, like I'm not trying to call them wimpy elbows, but I don't know how lower tier elbows from your back, as you're going up for submissions or something, wins you a fight. It's one of the worst decisions I've seen of the year so far in a fight that I don't want to see replayed again because it was just that lackluster and a fight that Caldwell seriously got screwed in, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, flipping over briefly, Santa, the UFC, Sergey Spivak. Um... <laughs> Let's say this one wasn't even close. And... No, it, no, it wasn't. Um, but I will say this. I'm pretty proud of myself. Even though I lost the main event prediction, I will say that I did go 7-3-1 seven and, th- seven, and one for a card that I didn't even watch. So that's pretty... <laughs> that's... What time did the main event even go on? Was it like three thirty? So, the fight. So, oh no! So the fight ended at three thirty a.m. Eastern. Wow, they actually moved that car along. Yeah, um, I may or may not have stayed up to follow what was go- what, what was going on on Twitter because I gotta say it's another one of those cards that we were that we were crapping on, and the fights were actually really good. <laughs> I gotta say. Jubilee on road to the UFC is going to be a problem, and I it stated publicly. I'm going to say it here again: Jubilee on road to the UFC from India is going to be a future champion in five or six years. Mark my words: the guy he he just absolutely decimated. It was it was it was crazy. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. We could. This is either going to be one of those predictions where you know we're going to praise it to the end of time, or it's going to all take <laughs> exposed on Twitter. True, but I will say, Spivak beating Derek Lewis, giving Lewis his fourth loss in a row. I mean, that's a that's a big win. He's still in the mix at heavyweight. Dana White said publicly that he still likes Derek Lewis. You know. Him losing four in a row, I just don't see what the appeal is anymore. Like if he's hey. not going to. If Man. he's not going to fight well, who who cares? <laughs> and I'm going to follow that with the Dana phrase. I love Derek Lewis with all my heart. I think he's a great personality. I think you can train him for the booth and such. I think you could do a podcast with him. I'm going to throw the word, the R word. I think it's time for him to retire. Interesting. Okay. I could, I could see it. Um, and it's unfortunate because uh, he was a star a couple years ago, and he just doesn't have the fan the fan flair that he used to. And I thought he was going to be Mister Apex again, and unfortunately, it didn't happen. And he just got dominated from the second the fight started. Uh, but I, I will think, say, I think I, I think say, he's only got Zan. I think he's only got maybe one or two more in him. I think I think it's over with him. Agreed. This is my plea to the UFC. And I know they'll listen because they understand. 
do not start UFC events at 10 p.m. Eastern and expect us to stay up till 3 in the morning because nobody did unless you were a diehard. So. That's okay, Sam. You know what? We'll, we won't start it at 10 p.m. Eastern. No, 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 no. We'll start our next card at midnight Eastern. Yeah, that means I'm definitely not watching it then. No matter who, no matter, no matter, no matter who is fighting, I might, I might, I might, yeah. Unless, unless, on one condition, unless it's UFC 300, then yes, of course, because it's 300. But outside of that, no way. I mean, I I was going to make a joke about UFC 300 would actually start at 2 p.m. because it's going to end up being an Abu Dhabi card, but they they can't take that away from Vegas. No, they're going to, no, they're going to keep it in Vegas and make sure that Jim Miller gets on UFC 300 just like he did for UFC 200 and UFC 100. Yes, absolutely. That's what I want. Uh, All right, Zen. I think it's time that we talked about our big card this weekend. A little different this time around. We're going to do more of a little, how would you call it, Zan? A truncated card. I mean, a truncated preview. Yeah, just given uh, how much time we have today, I apologize to all the gambling degenerates that want us to talk about every prelim, but this is not the card that we are going to do that. If you don't want to hear really just our main card predictions, it might be time to turn it off, but if you got as our loyal listeners, please stay with us because we do have predictions for some of the key fights on the card, of course, with the main event and the co-main event. So uh, let's get let's get started. First off, we have Islam Makachev taking on Alexander Volkanovsky, number one versus number two in the pound-for-pound rankings. This fight doesn't get any bigger. Um, I mean, these are two world-class guys with a combined record of 40 of 40 plus wins and and two losses, which is absurd to think about. And I'm going to say it. I've said it on this program maybe a couple months ago. I'm going to say it again. Alexander Volkanovsky is going to dethrone Islam Makhachev and become the new UFC lightweight champion in Australia. I said it three months ago. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen on Saturday. He will win the lightweight championship and he will give Makhachev his first his first loss in the UFC, but his first true loss in mixed martial arts. I, I just think Volkanovski fighting at home is, is going to be too much for Makachev. If you watch the countdown show, he's doing a lot of work with, you know, the guys over in in Thailand, and he's just really, um, really uh, enhancing his game at every level. Uh, he looks like he's in the best shape I've ever seen him in. I'm all in on the Volkanovski in this week, and I think he wins in the third round by TKO to become the new UFC lightweight champion and become double champion um, for the first time in his career and become the fifth UFC double champion. Never so yes, I'm picking Volkanovski in his backyard. He finish? Yes, he's going to finish Islam Makachev. Oh. Yeah. Oh my God, that is a take. Um. I think Volkanovski's hand, I will agree that he has the best chance to defeat uh, Makachev. I think Volkanovski, if he can keep this fight standing, I think he could pick apart Makachev on the feet. The only thing, Zan, is I don't think that's going to happen. I think Makachev wrestling is going to be too much. I think Volkanovski survives. 
But oh, I, I go Makachev by decision. Oh, come on. Then that, then that makes one of the biggest fights in years even more boring. We don't want to, we don't want to see that. No way. Uh, I, I just think, Zan, this is... Uh, Zan, for what you've been hyping about Volkanovski for the last three months, I've also been hyping Makachev as going to be dominating the lightweight division. So honestly, oh, I don't want no, that come on. <laughs> oh, we want we want more we want more parody in the UFC. We we don't want we don't we don't want more we don't want more typical. This we want we want parody. We want an excitement. The most exciting thing that we can see is Volkanovski winning this fight. And that's what I truly think is going to happen. I also oh, think that, that um, I also think that Volkanovski lands one successful takedown on Akachev. That's my other. That's you're other going all in on this. <laughs> I actually think I actually think that Makachev may or may not get out wrestled by the Australian. There we go. There we go. Wow. Oh, I said he's going to be Let me ask. Let me ask. Do you think Khabib stepping away from MMA completely is going to affect Makachev? Very, very. It's a it's a solid possibility. Yes, yes. Um, I'll I'll let's go one step further, Zan. So let's say your boy Volkanovski becomes champ champ. What do you think he does with the championships? Consider, especially considering the next fight we're going to talk about. I think he keeps going up and down. <laughs> You think he's gonna I do. I think he's. I think he's gonna keep going up and down. I really. I really do. I think. That would be I amazing. Think, it would be amazing if the UFC allowed somebody other than Amanda Nunes to do such a thing. I. I think. I think he's earned the status of being the one of the one of the goats in the in the male in the male category. And I think if he wins, he's earned his rightful uh, opportunity to do so. Oh, and I also. Oh, I was gonna add that. Sorry, I was going to add, but also considering that the um, featherweight side on the uh, UFC roster, or the, I mean the women's side of the UFC roster, is Amanda Nunes and uh, blank, nobody, blank, blank, blankety, blank. And nobody else. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say before? Oh, I was just simply agreeing with you that the other side of the coin on the women's side is not as impressive as uh, what we're about to cover of. Uh, in Not as impressive, Zan. It doesn't exist. <laughs> I know, which also means that it's not impressive either. So, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Co-main event, Yair Rodriguez, Josh Emmett. Because we have to have an interim championship, but I guess the UFC is trying to take precautions in case Volkanovski decides to just compete at uh, lightweight. Uh <laughs> So interesting to note about uh, Yair Rodriguez to start this conversation, Zan. I mean, he competed against Frankie Edgar, had his little beef with Dana in the UFC, had the knock- last second knockout of the Korean Zombie, had his little tiff with Jeremy Stevens in 2019, doesn't compete for all of 2020, gets blown out by Max Holloway in late 2021, and then he wins against Brian Ortega, if only because of a shoulder injury. Do you think Zan Yair Rodriguez's path to the championship is a little—I don't know if the word is questionable, but a little underwhelming, maybe? Yeah, and I mean that's just sometimes how the dice rolls a little bit. Oh wait, 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 wait! Did you just say sometimes? <laughs> yes, I did. Sometimes these things happen in MMA. <laughs> 
So there we go. Um, Yara Rodriguez is a pure talent, but I've been high on the Josh Emmett train since 2019, and I actually think that Josh Emmett is going to use his wrestling and his kickboxing to win a 48-47 unanimous decision and beat Yara Rodriguez to become the new interim UFC featherweight champion and potentially the new vacant UFC featherweight a champion, depending on if uh, if Volkanovski does not come back to his rightful weight class. It's not that I don't like Rodriguez, but I just think he's gotten a little bit of, of, of a soft draw the last couple of years, and I think Josh Emmett has earned it. Um, Uriah Faber's pissed off. Uh, he's pissed off. The, the UFC doesn't seem to really care. I think they'd rather see Josh Emmett lose because is if you think about it holistically, Yara Rodriguez is a more exciting fighter, but I just think Josh Emmett beating Yara Rodriguez makes a ton of sense, and I think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to be a fight of the year contender, right? We do. It's going to be a close fight. It's going to be it's going to be three to two, and I think uh, Emmett's going to win the first two rounds. I think Rodriguez is going to win three and four, and I think Emmett just edges Rodriguez in the fifth to make for a hotly debated, uh, controversial decision in my opinion. I mean, I just see this being 48-47 for Emmett all across the board. I really, I really do. Zan, it's a fight you and I actually... Those are my two bold predictions. All right. It's a a fight you and I actually are going to agree on. I agree with you. Emmett, unanimous decision, becomes interim champion. I think that, personally, he's got, as I just said... Considering Yair's uh, inconsistencies over the last couple of years, his questionable chin, I think Emmett just has a lot of momentum writing. I think, as you mentioned, he's pissed off. I think he's got a whole bunch of re- – I think he's on a five-fight win streak and has like seven or eight wins of his last eight or nine. I think he basically is writing a whole bunch of momentum. He and is I- – he is, in my opinion, the modern-day Matt Winwin that the UFC never got. Well, he's got an opportunity to uh, achieve something Matt Lundin never achieved. That's true. That's true. 100%. But I just think this fight is awesome, and I think eventually whoever wins is going to be promoted to uh, to the lineal UFC featherweight champion, depending on what happens with our guy at the top. Well, when you look at the rest of this card, Tom... Um, the one fight that sticks out to me is Mr. Jimmy Crude fighting Alonzo Menafield. There's no way that that fight goes the distance. I think somebody's getting viciously knocked out in that fight. I, I, Zan, I completely agree. I think this is my other fight that I have my eye on. Crude and Menafield are too entertaining. Uh, you know, for all that we talked about, Zan, with light heavyweights, I think Crude and Menafield are two very interesting names at this. And as you said, they're two names that deliver power, and this fight's not going to distance. I think for no. early, for early best bet you could put on this one does not go to distance. No, and I actually think so. I'm making another bold prediction. Someone in that fight is getting knocked out with a brutal head kick. That's gonna be that's gonna be on highlight reels for years and years and years to come. Oh, Zan, you are Mr. Bold Prediction today. I have to say. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm very. I'm very intrigued by hey, this card down under this weekend, and uh, I may or may not have been counting down the days UFC 284 simply because of the main event. But this card for the hardcores is a good card for those of you guys going to Australia. 
have a great time. They don't get a ton of these cards. The last big card they had over there was UFC 243. And now they're finally getting another massive card with their hometown guy in the main event. Uh, you couldn't ask for anything better. A few quick best bets. Uh, Randy Brown, Jack uh, Jer- Oh, did not uh, go the distance. Uh, Tyson Pedro, money line, I like a lot. Uh, Parker Porter, Justin Toffa does not go the distance. And uh, and Jimmy Crute is going to beat Alonzo Menifields. If you were to if you were to bet, I would bet Jimmy Crute money line in that fight. I'm going to say Jimmy Crute versus Alonzo Menifield does not go the distance. Uh, Toppa versus Porter, Zan. Not only will that one not go to distance, it better not go to distance. If Toppa versus Porter goes to distance, <laughs> we are in for a long night. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I will say this, uh, for those of you who are thinking about ordering the pay-per-view, order, order early, because in my opinion, this is one of those cards where the ESPN Plus servers could easily crash, given how big the main event is. And of course, it's in the middle of a packed sports weekend that will see tons of college basketball, UFC 284, and of course the long-awaited Super Bowl, which I will be covering. And I will be in. I will. I will not be in the air yet when this airs, but it'll be a few hours until I am in the air to fly to Phoenix to see the Eagles play the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl to determine who is going to win Super Bowl 057 in Glendale, Arizona. Another another fun fact. Um, about that is I do think uh, it's kind of some crossover content here. I do think that Travis Kelsey and, and his brother could have made for some pretty darn good MMA fighters. What do you What do you think? I think they could have. I think they really could have. I think they both had the power. And I think also, Zan, they've got some great personalities. Agreed. And I think that's what makes this matchup so fun is the Chiefs have personalities on one side with a lot of rookies and second-year players, and then you got the Eagles on the others. You get some guys with experience, and then, of course, you got uh, Jalen Hurts leading the pack there, but I, I digress. The overall and, you, and, you got, like, and you got Andy Reid uh, coaching yeah. against his old team. True. He's trying to be the third coach in NFL history to win the Super Bowl against his former team, so we may have fights on Saturday, but there also is a heavyweight tilt in football terms with Super Bowl 57 taking center stage on the UFC's old broadcast partner network, Fox, because of course it is. So there you have it. It's another packed week in combat sports. We'll probably have another packed week next week. Before we get out of here, though, I'm Zan, and that's Tom. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to Everything Empty the Bench-related. Uh, you can find my work at bjpen.com. And you can follow me at zanbando 99 you can find Tom's work over at Inside the MMA. You can follow him at Thomas J. Albano and I'm Talk Sports Nine. He's over at Fanside the MMA doing incredible work. And of course, you can follow us at the MMA Outsiders ETV and at ETV Network. Uh, and that's Tom. We'll see you next week. And of course, before we get out of here, as we usually like to do, and if we leave you with anything from this episode, if you took anything away from this episode, that is. Be Joe Piper. Be Joe Piper, mate. We can't wait for next week, Sam. We'll recap all the action for Australia. And then we get to talk about a UFC card headlined by Talia Santos and Aaron Blenchfield. Yeah, and according to MMA Twitter, it is one of the worst lineups in the history of the UFC. So we'll, 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 try, to, we'll try to do some background re- 
He's retentive next oh, week to see it. That's see, true. To see if we can find other cards that are that are as bad as what next week turns could turn out to be. But probably with all the criticism, the card is just going to be absolutely awesome. Because of, course of course, because of course it will be. All right, let's get out of here. That's Zan. I'm Tom. See you next week. See you, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in.